Hello, welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm your host, Natasha Mirosh, an insatiably curious food and travel writer who's toured and tasted her way around more than 60 countries. Join me now as I talk to the people who make travelling and eating such a delicious adventure. Hi, my name's Lisa Morrow and I'm an author and freelance writer. I live in Istanbul, Turkey. And although it's not the capital city, it's definitely the cultural and intellectual hub. Basically, Istanbul is to Ankara what Sydney is to Canberra. Ankara might be the centre of political power, but Istanbul's where everything happens. Istanbul's a huge megacity. It covers 5,460 kilometres squared, which I can't even begin to conceive. There are around 20 million people, although officially they say 15, but no one agrees with that. It covers two continents and it's built around numerous waterways. I make a joke that you can fly to Athens in less time than it takes to catch public transport from one edge of the city to the other, but it's actually true. It, it takes longer to get to the airport, in fact, than to actually fly to Athens. I've lived here and in other parts of Turkey for more than 15 years. The first time I came, it was 1990 and I was backpacking around Europe. I came later on by myself and then with the guy who became my husband. And we stayed for longer and longer periods and finally made the move permanent in 2010. Despite its size, Istanbul is really like a series of villages all joined together, each with a distinct character. It depends on where you go, but you come across tattooed night owls, religious conservatives, suburban Turks, a bit like, you know, the suburb I grew up in in Australia, old money Istanbulu, and there are people who say things like, well, my family's lived here for five, six, seven generations. And no one, of course, is as good as them. But then there's recently arrived Anatolian migrants from Central and Eastern Turkey, a lot of displaced Syrians, Afghans, and now Ukrainians, but also wealthy Arab businessmen and people from all over the place. Nonetheless, I regularly meet people who know someone living in my suburb, or in one case, I went on a trip with um, someone from a tourist organisation, and it turned out that her parents used to own a house in my street and she actually lives two blocks from me. So even though the city appears quite chaotic and it really is bursting at the seams, it can feel very friendly and small too. Now, the traditional thing is that Istanbul is built on seven hills, but I'm sure I've walked up a lot more. It's divided by the Bosphorus Strait. That's the waterway that splits it into the European and Asian sides. Both sides basically are named for their geographical locations, but there are still a lot of 19th and early 20th century consulate buildings, restaurants, apartment blocks and churches on the European side that look like, well, really, buildings that would look not out of place in Europe. A lot were built by and for the entourages of the Ottoman sultans, and then later by Rum, and Rum are Greeks born in Turkey. They're not people who came later, they've actually lived here for hundreds of years. And then there are buildings built by and for Armenians and Jews who used to populate the European side of town. My side of the city, the Asian side, is more modern. It started life as hunting grounds for sultans and there was a lot of green areas. But now, outside of the old centre in Sultanahmet and neighbourhoods packed with palaces and yali, they are old wooden summer houses that you can see along the shores of the Bosphorus. A lot of Istanbul is quite ugly. In the 1990s, due to civil war, there was a lot of uh, people coming from East and Southeast Turkey. So there was a huge population explosion. And so a lot of concrete breeze blocks were built in very short time to accommodate them. That said, 
There are plenty of beautiful old pavilions, fountains and mosques to enjoy, provided you know where to find them. It might sound hackneyed, but Istanbul really does offer something for just about everyone. There's the unmissable major tourist stops through the underappreciated neighbourhoods on the cusp of being discovered. I mean, there's something magical about having so many historical buildings and sites in the one place. You'll have the Hagia Sophia, the Blue Mosque, Topkapi Palace and Yerbatan Cistern. That's a huge underground water cistern. And they're within a stone's throw of one another in Sultan Ahmed. And then other times I'll be on a ferry and I'm sailing down between two ancient towers, one on either side of the Bosphorus at its narrowest point. And I love art. And there are so many galleries. There's the newly opened Istanbul Modern and lots of other privately owned galleries, particularly bank-owned ones, that have really interesting, eclectic things. From example, a Greek taxi driver who collected Turkish expressionist art in Russia through to traditional art moving into the French influences in a, a gallery owned by a very wealthy local family. There's something different every week of the year. And if you love architecture, you can lose yourself in the design and detailing in centuries-old summer palaces, as well as really sumptuous private apartment blocks. And then there's repurposed industrial plants and factories. An old gas works and an old beer factory have become cultural hubs, and they've got live music, restaurants, open spaces, and they're quite wonderful. And if you like to shop, you really should go to the Grand Bazaar. It's more an experience than actually for the shopping. But even if you're not after anything in particular, you'll leave with something, I know. But it, it doesn't matter what you pay. Every time you look at it, the carpet, the rug, whatever you buy, when you're back home, it'll make you smile. There's also a lot of live music options. They're not yet back to pre-COVID levels, but jazz, blues, tango and electronic dance venues are on the up. Now, as I said, I live on the Asian side of the city, and like everywhere in Istanbul, it's jam-packed come the weekend. Many people still work six days a week, so Sunday sees everyone, and I mean everyone out and about, making the most of their free time. So rather than get caught up in the crush, I try to stick to places close to home. On Saturdays, I might go into Karakoy. That's a waterfront suburb that's been very popular with intellectuals and students. I go there for dinner or I catch the Mamre, which is this fabulous train system that goes from my side of the city all the way around the Sea of Marmara to the other side of the city, close to Greece, basically. I get it up the coast and I'll catch up with friends over coffee and then walk along the water in a couple of different suburbs where they've reclaimed the seaside land and planted trees and there's lovely parks. Sundays, though, even though they're busy, are quite good because no one here ever gets up before 10 o'clock. And so the roads are quiet until around noon. I like to head off early and I'll catch an exhibition or visit a new mosque or church or something that I've read about, an historical site or a building that's been restored by the council because they're doing that a lot. And I always have lunch afterwards. Basically, I'm known to visit places simply because there's a restaurant nearby that I want to try. I mean, researching is very hungry work. Istanbul has always had a good food scene. Naturally, Turkish food does predominate, but chefs trained in Michelin-style restaurants all around the world are exploring new ways to serve traditional flavours. I like a place called Olcak in Sekeji. The food is a celebration of Turkish home cooking, elevated to the level of fine dining, except you don't go home hungry. No tiny little tasting platters there. The ambience is perfect for special occasions. Then there's Neolocal over in Karakoy. Their tasting menu, again, very generous, takes you on a culinary trip through the country, both with the ingredients and the aesthetics of the presentation. 
But when I want to chat with friends over a glass, or let's be realistic, a bottle of wine, I head for Victor Levy in Kadakoi. They've got a good-sized bistro-style menu, a lovely sort of indoor setting with banquettes and photos on the wall of famous uh, clientele, and a really lush outdoor garden in summer. But then there's the contribution of the city's more recent arrivals. There's hole-in-the-wall outfits that serve dishes from Palestine, Indonesia, Turkmenistan and elsewhere that would give Newtown's King Street dining establishments a run for their money. As for drinking, I tend to avoid most bars because although smoking is banned inside, a lot of establishments get around this by having outdoor areas that they encase in removable plastic walls and they cover them over with more plastic to protect against the elements. They're really packed, everyone smokes, and it's not somewhere I want to be. There are establishments that do stick to the rules, but generally their clientele are well-held tourists with foreign currency to spend and uber-cool Turks. I prefer to spend big on books and travel, and I hang out with my friends who are weirdly wonderful, basically, in their own way. Okay, now my insider tip. I'm a very practical person, and I'm a woman. Basically, as long as there's a mosque, you almost always find a public toilet in Istanbul. And this means you're in luck. There are more mosques and pubs, as you can imagine, often one or two on every corner. Some of them are even free to use, particularly on the Asian side of the city. And when they do charge, it'll only set you back 50 cents or so. These days, most public toilets have a la turta and a la frangaloos, aka squat and seated, but do carry tissues and wet wipes with you. Oh, and that water you see on the floor? It's not what you think. Turkish women, particularly the more traditional, still tend to use the wash method rather than toilet paper. Thanks for having me. I hope I've inspired you to come and enjoy Istanbul for yourself. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe, rate and leave a review. And if you'd like to help support Extra Virgin and keep us ad-free, please consider buying us a virtual coffee on the website www.extravirginfoodandtravel.com.